0: And welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. We've left beautiful Wisconsin, where the air is crisp and the leaves are are uh, are turning beautiful colors for this boring weather of San Diego. We're here no, at it's the uh, <laughs> here we still stand conference in San Diego, California, put on by Fifteen Seventeen. We're so grateful that they. Um, that they have allowed us to come here, invited us, and then have also supported our podcast. And so uh, we encourage our listeners to uh, not just listen to us, but all the different podcasts that are out there. We're in kind of a ballroom-type situation where instead of around uh, Wade Johnson's desk in his office, we're in a straight line. I feel like I'm testifying before Congress. There's a light right on me. I feel like I'm about to be interrogated. How many times, Wade, have you said these words, Senator, I do not recall that. (laughs) But anyway, we are joined here together. We have, uh, we should mention Peter's also here. Say hi, Peter.
1: Ben can't be here because his wife is gonna have a baby and he thought that was a priority.
0: And Ashley, Ben's wife, is so nice that um, if he asked, she probably would have said okay.
2: Yeah, I think she feels bad that he's not here, Yes, yes,
0: (laughs) wonderful. So Ben's being a good father and carrying out his vocation. We are joined by two men, Boer Erickson from New Mexico, so that's our second New Mexico reference in this uh, string of podcasts here today. And then also uh, John Pless from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. And we're gonna be talking about uh, Herman Sasse. And before we let them introduce themselves, uh, Peter, you have something to say about a disclaimer.
2: Do you want to do the uh, disclaimer first? Did you yeah, go find ahead. Find our disclaimer. We did yeah, we did. Why don't you go do, ahead and read that? Well, let's do introductions first because no, we, we don't we, we don't need talk to disclaim down them down here already. Okay, fine. Good We're away. kind of a mess. This show does not speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot, so approach what you hear with a healthy bit of skepticism because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you are just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live freely, friends, and don't let us get in the way.
0: Thank you, Peter. That was very well done.
2: Thank
1: you. I, I thought you read it well, too.
0: I his, appreciate His that. daughter has it memorized, and yeah, so I don't, when she's yeah. there, she just rattles it off even better than that. So, <laughs> Why don't we introduce our, our guest, uh, uh, Pastor Bohr Erickson. Um, besides your great mustache, what are? Uh, <laughs> why are we having you on here? What's your, uh, well, what's your li- connection listeners, to Sassi? Those who, who have you?
1: listened will know Boer from two episodes so far on Bo Geertz, and uh, there was just such a, a cry to have him back on when I saw him. Uh, About 40 minutes ago, I said, Broer, you should come on our podcast. And so he's had a lot of time to prepare. Um, But in addition to work with Bo Geertz, uh, Broer, why don't you tell him a little bit what you've done with the works of Hermann Sasa?
3: Yeah, well, I've uh, translated uh, a book of his sermons. You can purchase it in the uh, lobby there um, called Witness, Zeugnisse in in German. And there were sermons and and, uh, essays that he wrote for the church uh, during the rise of of the Third Reich and up till, you know, from about 1933 to 1944.
1: And if you were listening to Ringside, that was about the time when the church camps were really big, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and he, uh, it's kind of amazing. He didn't get shot for it. He was was one of the, uh, he came out against the Nazis before the Nazis were even really, All right, so
2: ringside made it twenty minutes before mentioning the Nazis. We only made it two and a half. Well, you know,
3: um, (laughs) but uh, plus we'll probably talk a little bit more about that that sort of thing. But yeah, I translated that book, and then uh, I put together. uh, Well, President Harrison kind of dumped it in my lap after Witness uh, this book of uh, journal articles, which most of that had already uh, it was written in English, um, but. we had to go through and, and sort of edit and, and collate and put it together. So Wade and I worked on that for a while and then we threw it over to 1517. and uh, Steve 15. Steve Burns
1: did a great did, job with it.
3: Yeah, Steve did a wonderful job with it, so. And uh,
0: Dr. Pless, uh, why don't you uh, tell us about uh, what you've done with SASE and, and, uh, and maybe some initial insights.
4: Okay. I think I was first introduced to Hermann Zassa as a um, undergraduate student at Texas Lutheran College in Seguin. I was in a course on the theology of Martin Luther and decided I wanted to write a uh, paper as a freshman in college on Luther's understanding of the Lord's Supper. And so I talked to the professor, and he handed me his copy of uh, This Is My Body, which is uh, Zassa's uh, magna opus, His um, book on the Lord's Supper, uh, his major book, really published in 1959. And already as an undergraduate uh, student, I was impressed with uh, Sasa's scholarship, his um, L- Lutheran understanding of the sacrament of the altar, and um, and really kind of tracked with a lot of Sasa uh, in college and and seminary uh, to some degree. But then I did my uh, vicarage at uh, Chapel of the Resurrection, Valparaiso University, when Norman Nagel was the uh, dean of the chapel. So I did my vicarage under Nagel. And at the time, he was uh, translating uh, Sasse's essays, which would be published then in a three-volume piece by Concordia Publishing House in the mid-1980s, We Confess, Jesus Christ, we confess the church, we confess uh, the sacraments. Nagel, being from Australia, actually had uh, uh, some firsthand experience with Sasa, so I learned a lot about Sasa, a lot more about Sasa from him. And then um, in my own work as a pastor, I kept uh, simply reading a lot of Herman Sasa. And um, then after coming to teach at the seminary in Fort Wayne, I developed a Pastors continuing ed class on Sasa which I've taught probably a dozen times now in different locations all over the country and then a few years ago mark Mattes asked me to write a chapter on Herman Sasa for a, a series of articles on 20th century Lutheran theologians that were to be published would be published by uh, Lutheran quarterly and then those those essays were finally collected and published in a Book under that same title, 20th Century Lutheran Theologians. So I've had um, both an academic interest in Zassa, but also a pastoral emphasis and in, in, interest in Zasa. I was a pastor uh, for 17 years before coming to teach at Fort Wayne, and Zasa was always a theologian that was speaking to issues that I was confronting as a parish pastor, and found him in that regard uh, particularly. Uh, uh, helpful. He was certainly, as I think we'll talk about a little later on today, a very heroic man in in the way he stood against uh, both National Socialism as well as trends within the church, particularly Lutheran Church, that he saw to be the undoing of the church. And yet he's always working with a very robust kind of faith. Uh, He believes in the resurrection and because Jesus has been raised from the dead, uh, the church actually does have a future. And so he does not slip into kind of a cynicism or pessimism that I think we often see as people complain about how the world is simply going to hell in a handbasket and the church following quickly behind. He has this kind of robust confidence in the confession of Christ, crucified and raised. And, um, and so those are some of the things that have kind of attracted me. Uh, to, uh, to, to Herman Zassa.
1: Maybe for some of the, the listeners and the audience here, if we're talking a little bit background on Herman Zassa and Brewer gave some, you know, someone who, at least as I understand it, uh, John and Brewer, is training um, in Berlin under Harnack and um, uh, what Carl Hall and, and others. He uh, is very well trained as a church historian, but he comes to America, I believe, to study at Hartford Seminary. And it's, it's there that he really gets into the Lutheran confessions and I believe reads Leia. Uh,
4: right. And that's, uh, maybe we could go into that part of the story. I think that. that would be good, oh, yeah. Great. Uh, Hermann Zassa was born in 1895. He was uh, the son of a pharmacist, fairly kind of middle class. Drug family. dealer, huh? What? A drug dealer. Drug dealer, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, um, fairly middle class conventional German family, uh, grew up in uh, the territorial church, which was a church of the Prussian Union. In other words, it was a church that uh, one could be either reformed or Lutheran, did not have a very specific kind of confession of of faith. Um, Zasse, reflecting on his youth, said that you don't know how good life can be unless you lived in Germany before the First World War. <laughs> uh, that Germany was really kind of at uh, the top of things when it came to culture, when it came to education, when it came to technology.
1: It had just become Germany not too much earlier. there right. was a real optimism.
4: Right, and so there's a lot of optimism, a lot of uh, of, of kind of vitality, I think, in that uh, in culture in so many ways. And so uh, a young man, uh, 1913, goes to University of Berlin, and he goes with the intention of studying in two areas, philology, study of words, and uh, theology. And he goes at a time when the theological faculty at Berlin uh, was uh, considered world-renowned. Uh, you had men who were teaching there like um, uh, Adolf von Harnack. Uh, Adolf von Harnack, Uh, gave definition to what we would call kind of classical liberalism. That the gospel, in other words, is really not about Jesus Christ and his work of justifying the ungodly, miracles, resurrection, and all of that. Uh, But Jesus is kind of the evolution of the prophetic tradition in Israel. And in Jesus, we see... uh, the kingdom of God embodied. So basically it's kind of ethics, yeah. And and, um, and Old Testament is, uh, you know, passe. In fact, uh, uh, it was von Harnack who said that it was necessary that the New Testament church kept the Old Testament. Uh, He says it was tragic but understandable (laughs) that the Reformation would maintain the Old Testament but it is completely unthinkable that modern Christianity can continue with the Old Testament. Well, that theological opinion fit very nicely with Adolf Hitler's mm. emphasis of a German Christianity, a German savior. But uh, Zasse learned a lot from von Harnock in a positive way. He learned from von Harnock how to be a sharp, critical thinker, theologian. Mm -hmm. Also there, Carl Hull. Carl Hull is father of what was called the Luther Renaissance, Mm -hmm. where people were actually studying the writings of Martin Luther once again. Crazy. You know, we kind of think that, well, in the 19th century, everybody was carrying Luther around. Not so. Uh, If you were reading Luther, it was usually you were reading Luther because he was quoted in some of the pietist writers, Or he was quoted in The Theologians of Lutheran Orthodoxy, and uh, the Theologians of Lutheran Orthodoxy are reading Luther then through their own lens, and so it was to Harnack, or it was to Hull's credit, that he wanted to read Luther on his own terms. Well, of course, Hull had his own particular set of eyeglasses, and so he read Luther through the lens in many ways of kind of 19th century liberalism, but at least Sasse said he got us into the text. Well, and what he, and would... he got us into the text of Luther.
1: And
0: Sasse criticizes and the use of Luther as a nationalistic right. figure uh, at that time. If I remember right. with Hull yeah. too,
1: wasn't I'm thinking of Joshua Miller's book uh, on Byer? Wasn't Hull important for he he kind of begins again an emphasis on the hidden God and the theology of the cross in that sense too, not not necessarily in its Mm-hmm. complete or comprehensive form, but he recognizes this as an important He, he part sees those
4: themes. Actually, it was Adolf von Harnack's father, Theodosius von Harnack, who was a confessional Lutheran uh, who had kind of rediscovered both theology of the cross and hidden God in his work on Luther in the late, 18th or late 19th century, but Hull, uh, again, in some ways, is heir to that uh, theme of, of scholarship. So at any rate, Sasa goes to university, and he's going to study philology, and theology. Uh, the other person I should mention on the faculty there at uh, the time, Adolf Dietzmann, who wrote a book which was translated into English, uh, Anx- or Light from the Ancient Near East, hmm. and uh, uh, showing again how these ancient Near Eastern manuscripts would shed light on, on New Testament. And so Sasa intends really to study New Testament in his doctoral degree is actually in New Testament from University of of Berlin. He's at University of Berlin in um, 1913. In 1916, his studies are interrupted. He enlists, and probably would have been drafted, but I think he enlists, actually enlists, in the German army, uh, rank of lieutenant. And he fights in the German army, He's in one of the bloodiest battles of the First World War, the Battle of Paskendal. And of his cohort of about 150, 160 men, only six survived that battle. And uh, in fact, Sasa is limping back from the battlefront, and uh, a sergeant sees him, and he says, Herr Lieutenant Sasa, what are you doing here? We buried you with full military honors yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was ironic, by the way, that that battle was, uh, was fought on the other side, our side, by the Australians. And Sasa would eventually immigrate to Australia, and he said, and, it, and that was the first time the Australians tried to kill me. <laughs> yeah. and, but he, he survived, but he said something died. And what died? Liberal theology. Um, The old liberal theology could not countenance the doctrine of original sin. And here, Zasa experienced it in all of its, you know, uh, goriness. He does not yet become confessional Lutheran. This is not a... uh, you know, overnight kind of conversion experience, but there are a number of things happening. He goes back to university after the war, uh, finishes his degree, uh, is ordained as a pastor, again in what we would call a union church, and um, uh, serves congregations in and around Berlin, uh, but he's recognized for his academic ability, and so he is selected to do a postdoctoral year at Hartford Theological Seminary in Hartford, Connecticut. Hartford Seminary was a kind of a generic Protestant seminary with roots in the Congregationalist tradition. And uh, Zasa goes there to study. But while he is studying at, at Hartford, he reads a little book by a Bavarian pastor from the 19th century by the name of Wilhelm Lea. And I just love that. He goes to America to read a German book. Right. Uh, and uh, he says by reading Lea's three books about the church, he became a convinced confessional Lutheran. Now, Sasha was doing some other things during that American year. He was meeting up with some American Lutheran theologians, primarily men associated with what at the time was the United Lutheran Church in America, and their seminary in Philadelphia, particularly uh, Theodore Tappert, who would translate Book of Concord into English. Um, also, uh, Henry Eister Jacobs and his son Charles uh, Jacobs. And so Zasa is getting some experience with American, uh, American Lutherans who by and large are much more committed in his estimation to the heritage of the Reformation than many of his colleagues uh, back in, in Germany. He goes back to Germany and the very next year he writes uh, his first book. It's really kind of a pamphlet, but it's called a book, American Christianity. Which Bonhoeffer reads before he yes. goes to Union, right? yeah. And I want to say something else about Bonhoeffer and Zassa, because that's another part of the story in in just a minute. But if you read his book, American Christianity, and it's available in volume one of Zassa's collected writings, Lonely Way, it is a fascinating piece. in many ways, I would say it is prophetic. He talks about how in America, um, American Christianity is entrepreneurial. He talks about going to a Baptist church uh, where the lights were orchestrated with the emotional moods of the preacher's uh, uh, sermon and how uh, everything is about progress. Uh, We have to be progressive. We need to work for bigger and and better churches. Uh, He notes the impact of social gospel uh, movement. And he doesn't have a whole lot really in this book to say about Lutherans uh, except to say that they had by and large been spared uh, this kind of infection in 1920s. He talks about uh, the Missouri Synod as having a a vibrant congregational life with a strong doctrine of the ministry but a very active laity. He speaks of the parochial school system of the Missouri Synod. Uh, he speaks of how Missouri Synod theologians in the 1920s um, still had capacity in the languages so they could deal with Reformation Luther texts and confessions. Uh, he says that even the most liberal of American Lutherans in the 1920s would be conservative yep. by German standards. that They had not been infected with so-called modernism that had ripped through the Presbyterian, Baptist, uh, and um, and Methodist churches in the in, in that that, uh, uh, that that era.
0: And and I think we should say I huh. just want this on the r- record for the senators um, that uh, he also taught at uh, in the Wisconsin Synod. Even more than the Missouri Senate, very early yep. on too. So we just want to give a shout Canada out. Well, I
4: this, I, I the I, I seminary was <laughs> the first. Of,
1: the first or published most of
4: right. his letters. Yeah, I was going to say that the uh, well, Wisconsin
0: Senate has always been known as very progressive.
4: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Zasa and open-minded. And had great respect for those that he called the men of Thamesville, uh, Your seminary. Yep, and. He, it was the Wisconsin Synod's Kordorchev that first published his articles and his letters. And so uh, he had a great appreciation for Wisconsin Synod. And, um, and, and he, you know, one of the things you see about Sasa is that he had wide-ranging contacts, uh, both within L- the Lutheran Church and outside of the Lutheran Church. I've characterized Sasa as a confessional ecumenist and as an ecumenical confessionalist uh, he was not afraid to talk to anybody
0: in- including people in the vatican right i mean <laughs> yeah he had uh,
4: ties with cardinal bia at the vatican during second vatican council and when he went to australia he published a lot of his reviews and journal articles through the reformed theological I yes, believe, Glore,
1: what you what you yeah. worked on and published, that's where that's right. from.
3: Yeah, yeah. The you can the journal articles of SASE, most of them are uh, published in the in the Reformed journal there. And uh Yeah, and a lot of what he, he does there is is uh analyzes the Second Vatican Council through those contacts that you're talking right. about. He 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 shows uh you know where they're going, why they're doing what they're doing, uh, their their doctrine of scripture that's behind that, and and the problems with it, and mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah, he, uh, Sasa had quite a wit, by the way,
4: and and so uh, he, he was uh, thankful for some aspects of the Second Vatican Council. He saw the Second Vatican Council as um, uh, an attempt to bring some sort of reformation to the yeah. Roman Church, but he was also quite critical of the way this Reformation was going. And so he would say that uh, after the Second Vatican Council, it is hard for a self-respecting pagan to go to hell in the Roman church <laughs> because they had basically developed a kind of universalism. What, what about people who attend
1: 1517 here? We still stand yeah, conference. They? Yeah. Are they good? <laughs> go on, <straight>. But, uh, <laughs> um, but
4: uh, Or he would say, you know, in in uh, the post-Vatican II Roman Catholic Church, uh, now everything changes but the bread and wine, uh, <laughs> referring to uh, uh, referring to Rome's uh, uh, attempt on the part of some Roman theologians, like Schillebeckx, for example, uh, to argue that instead of transubstantiation, we'll have transsignification, transignific- and then Sassa went on to say that the Second Vatican Council even canonized old saint Swingley, because it's still basically kind of a a sign theology of of, uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, You know, one of the wonderful things I think about Sasa is that he is uh, brutally honest. He has uh, criticisms of pretty much everybody uh, he didn't spare in those criticisms criticisms of the Missouri Senate, for example.
1: We always enjoy um,
4: those. And you, yeah, and and, uh, and, and uh, he was kind of less critical, actually, of the Wisconsin Senate. Maybe it wasn't as much on his radar screen, although he did believe that uh, the Missouri Senate had actually kind of betrayed the Wisconsin Senate when the events in the events leading to the uh, disillusion of the synodical uh, synodical conference. But uh, Zasseh was no fundamentalist. Uh, he came into the church in Australia in 1949 and was quite surprised at the way uh, Lutherans were arguing about the authenticity and accuracy of scripture using not Lutheran categories, but fundamentalist categories. Yeah. And for that reason, some people suspected Herman Zasa of being a liberal. And I always think that's interesting yeah. when that comes up
1: And because a lot of times when Sasa's name will get mentioned, people will want to talk about inerrancy or inspiration. But I think it, it is a helpful reminder for American Lutherans um, to step back and while holding to inspiration, obviously, to say the real reason for that, the center of Scripture is Christ, and that's what we want to get to, um, and not to have a reformed or a, um, a fundamentalist approach to um, how we're going to tell people why why the scriptures are reliable. Right. Um, they're reliable because they, they give us Christ. And uh, and then you can work backwards. Yeah. And Sasa would say,
4: again, they're reliable because they give us Christ, but they are also inspired by the Holy yeah. Spirit. And and therefore, we can't, as Sasa finally does, confess the scriptures as being inerrant. But our understanding of inerrancy is You don't is necessarily
1: have to start Bible information class right. with six weeks on it, is what I mean. Right
4: that we believe the Bible because we believe Jesus Christ, not the other way around. That's Sasa's point. And and then for Sasa also, like our Lord Jesus Christ is both true God and true man, the scriptures are both human words and word, word of God. Not in the Barthian way that you could extract the word of God from scripture or say that scripture only contains the word of God, No, it is the word of God. Mm -hmm. Again, the S, the is, is so strong in Sasa's theology. Uh, We're going to be talking at this conference about the theology of cross, calling a thing what it is. Mm -hmm. Sasa says, when you speak of Holy Scripture, you finally have to say, without qualification, Mm -hmm. it is the word of God. Uh, Not merely contains the word of God or bears witness to the word of God, uh, but it is the word of God. But it's the word of God in human speech. And so we use all the tools that we Typically used to analyze human speech. When we talk about studying scripture, we pay attention to the original languages, mm-hmm. to grammar, to context. who was the author, what was his context. Right.
0: Maybe you, we kind of mentioned uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Karl Barth now, and, and kind of three characters that are about the same time in Germany. They have some mm-hmm. similarities. Bonhoeffer comes to uh, America. They all Western don't history. like Hitler. Yep. Yeah, they, and, they're uh, unified in that <laughs> um, yeah. and then World War one was uh, a huge deal of course for for both uh, Sase and and Bart so maybe uh, either you or Bohr could talk about just kind of w- the yeah. interesting thing going on there we have we have three really famous people yeah. and and they kind of take different paths at that time let
4: me say a, uh, some things about Bonhafer first because I find this very interesting and I'll then I'll let Bohr chime in as 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 well Bonhoeffer and, and Zasse had a lot in common. Um, Zasse was about 11 years older than Bonhoeffer, but like Sasse, uh, uh, Bonhoeffer came out of a kind of union church background, um, middle-class family. His father was a professor. Um, they both studied at University of Berlin, were both students of Adolf von Harnack, and ultimately came to reject von Harnack's approach, um, both were united in their critique of Hitler. Uh, Sasse quite early, uh, 1932, uh, year before, two years before Sasse goes to teach at Erlangen, uh, he writes a stunning critique of the Aryan paragraph in, in National Socialism. Yep. And um, he critiques National Socialism from the perspective of Luther's understanding of the two realms, two kingdoms. Uh, he is by no means a quietist. Uh, and uh, he he sees uh, Hitler putting himself in the place of God and sitting in that way against uh, First... first commandment. Zasse and Bonhefer are in correspondence with each other, and uh, they actually, for a while, were both living in Berlin. As Zasse and, uh, and, and Bonhefer had both served congregations in the Berlin area, and so Zasse and Bonhefer, along with uh, another German theologian by the name of Georg Mötz, and a German pastor-churchman, Friedrich von Wodelschwenk, team up to write in 1933 what was called the Bethel Confession. And this was a specifically Lutheran statement against national socialism. Bonhoeffer and Zasse parted ways the next year, 1934, over the Barman Declaration, and the primary architect of the Barman Declaration was Karl Barth, who was a reformed theologian, and um, Karl Barth in Sosa's mind uh, confuses law and gospel. For Karl Barth, the very fact that a sovereign God speaks to a sinful, finite man is a word of gospel, and the law is then kind of a subpart of the gospel. And so, when you read Zoss, when you read Bon or you read Barth on law and gospel, his understanding of law is primarily what Lutherans have termed uh, the third function or the third use of a law, uh, the law as the way of Christianity.
1: I was going to tell a good Barth joke, but uh, now I'm going to get in trouble if I will, so you mentioned third use. You know. I'm not going to say. You, you can take that. <laughs> no,
4: go ahead. Uh, but uh, but there's, you see, there's a difference between uh, the way a Lutheran will talk about the place of the law in the life of the Christian, and the way that Barth talks about the place of law. I was going to say, if you,
1: you want to understand yeah. our, our listeners how Barth talks about the, the law and gospel, just um, read Follow Lutherans on social media.
3: Yeah, you can do that. <laughs>
4: there are a lot of crypto Barthians, I think, out yes. there, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but we, won't, we won't go there. Um, Zass's little book, which he wrote in, ni- in the early 1930s, Here We Stand, has a great section on the proper... It's a nice name, law, by the way. Gospel. Here yeah. We Stand. You I could, think you stole you it. You could from really me. market yeah. that, yeah. But um, actually, this is Tappert's translation, and it was published in the United States by Harper and Rowe back in the day, and they didn't like the uh, original title. The original title in German would translation to what is Lutheran? Mm-hmm. And they thought, well, that's not very sexy, but here we stand. <laughs> you know, that kind of brings pictures of Luther at Diet of Worms making a confession. That might sell. But at any rate, uh, here we stand, great section on, on, on law and gospel. And that became a dividing point between Zassa and Carl um, and, 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 uh, Barth. And at that point, uh, Bonheifer, even though the relationship of Bonhoeffer and Barth is much more nuanced and complex, uh, Bonheifer did co- go with with, uh, uh, with with Barth. And that, in effect, became kind of the end of the connection between uh, Sasa and Bonhoeffer.
0: Another, another part of this book, the Una Sancta, there's a, quite a few different articles that are, and, mm-hmm. and maybe I could ask you and, and Bohr real quick, and. Uh, you know, okay. So I'm an interested layperson, or I'm a young pastor. Would you start with uh, uh, Sase's, you know, uh, personal letters, uh, The Lonely Way, or would you? What would? What's the first? How would I get into Sase
4: if I had never really
0: read anything?
4: What would you recommend? When when I teach a elective course at the seminary on Sase, we start with Here We Stand, because in many ways it is kind of foundational for everything else he does. All the main themes. And he has quite a number of themes in Here We Stand that he develops more completely over the years on the sacrament, on the nature of confession itself, on law and gospel, um, on um, the unity of the church. Uh, all of these themes are in Here We Stand. And then he, as I said, kind of unpacks them throughout his career. But yeah, and Bore, maybe I
0: could ask you, uh, n- not only for Herman Sasse's... Um, you know it okay, can maybe a seminal moment when he was in world war 1 um where he had this maybe unfectung where he, his faith is challenged in the liberal theology of maybe his day but also then standing up and being being lonely in germany and then even as he comes over to the uh, to the west too um so maybe some insight into his personal letters
3: bore maybe that that would be helpful for uh, our audience well i i guess you know, if if I was a lay person looking to get into sause, I think I would uh, I would be remiss if I didn't tell them to to uh, buy witness. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I no longer make money on that book. By <laughs> way, <but bro> does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I might not have any uh, ulterior motives for telling people that, but no, his sermons, you know, in that book are are very powerful sermons, and, and they. I mean, he kind of approaches law gospel as, as if it's a double-barrel shotgun, and and just you know, you're you're shredded afterwards. Um, but all of those themes come out, uh, you know, and you kind of see, you know, some of his life in Berlin because he'll talk about, uh, you know, some of the the Bolsheviks he knew back in the day, and and uh, different things about, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but uh, also, you know, in there, you, you were talking about this is my body earlier. Uh, he has a he has a uh, a, a lecture that he gave uh, called uh, "Holy Communion in the Life of the Church," and it is you know it, it it's distilled saucy on the Lord's Supper. Um, which is just a brilliant article about the the need for Holy Communion and how the the church is sustained, uh, the, the Christian faith is sustained by uh, the Lord's Supper uh, in the church and why it why it was so important for Luther uh, to to stand on that uh, in his uh, you know against Wingley and and the Baptists and and so on.
1: The so. Uh, from this as my body speaking of the Lord's Supper has one of my favorite lines where. Um, Sas is walking us through the Marburg Colloquy, and when Zwingli quote, quotes John and then says Luther, this will break your neck, which was a, a Swiss idiom for now I win the argument, and Luther says Ulrich, you're in Germany now. Next, don't break so easily. Yeah. <laughs> is, <Yeah. laughs> um, I, uh, yeah. Maybe if I could just throw a, a few things out there, and then if if anybody has thoughts on it, maybe they'd be helpful. But um, you know, Sas's life is interesting and probably could be ten episodes in and of itself, and we have a. Forty minutes, which I'm taking to mean forty-five minutes uh, for a recording <laughs> which today. It's us, the, for the
0: record. Nine minutes left. To wait.
1: Yeah, and uh, if you listen to "Let the Bird Fly," you know our gift is brevity. <laughs> um, we our first. I think first couple episodes, either Peter or Ben said, yeah, we got to keep them short and focused. And by the fourth, I think we're at an hour and a half. Yeah, then we get to know Wade better. Yeah, and, and, and so just a couple things to throw out, and then maybe if there's responses, and I'll just go through them somewhat quickly. Um, but I think one of the, the interesting things as I think of Sasa and, and read Sasa is you do have the dynamic with Sasa and Bonhoeffer and Bart of this common social or cultural concern and how sometimes that can make odd bedfellows in the church. And, Bart, and, and and Bonhoeffer will be part of the confessing church, and we hear that word confess in there, but it's because of the reason of confession that SASA is not able to go along with some of the statements that are made. And I think that's a, an important reminder in our own day when sometimes the church feels pressured or threatened culturally or societally, um, that while, yes, we do want to, um, as Christians, be concerned for each other, be praying for each other, that the most important thing in that time, not the thing to be set aside, but the most important thing is Christ and the clear distinction of law and gospel because this is what builds up and sustains souls and this is also um, the whole reason for the church's existence. And so I think with that, um, that that's not something to set aside in times of pressure, but it's a time to be even clearer in that. And then just two more. I I think, um, and, and this is from my own background in the Wisconsin Synod, is, you know, I'm, we're very, uh, our confession is very important to us, and, and you know, that's something that is treasured, and, and anybody in here who has caricatures of our doctrine of fellowship will understand that. But... Uh, there is something too, not only having the right confession, but being confident in it enough to be able to correspond and discuss and talk about it with others. And I think that's something that maybe American Lutheranism, I don't want to pick on your synod too, but I think both Wisconsin and Missouri sometimes have withdrawn at times mm-hmm. when their confession is even more needed than, than ever. And so being, if we are confident in this confession, having enough faith to be willing to engage and to engage, not in a... Um, a way that puts off a combative manner, but in, a, in a, a loving way as Sasa was able to do. And I guess just third, um, with liberal theology, and by that we don't mean left or right of a political spectrum, but this kind of optimism of this new age that's coming and you know, some of the doctrines of Christianity were great back then, but now we've, we've got different concerns that as we're at a conference that's talking about the theology of the cross, that Sasa, I think his own life and his writings remind us what a blessing it can be from God when our optimism is sometimes crushed. When God Mm -hmm. comes into and works through events to bring us to the point that what's left, what's left is what Sasa discovers and holds to throughout life, is that message of Christ and the gospel. And so we don't always think to to pray and thank God for the thorns in our flesh or or for the trials that come. But sometimes that's what the church needs most. And I think that's one of the great joys to be able to sit with two um, people whose friendships I share. We may not be in the, in the same church bodies, um, but to rejoice that no matter what's going on in, in the broader culture, that our hope, our optimism is not crush, crushable when it is in Christ, when it is in the resurrection. And broad joked, I don't think you could hear on the mic before, that when they said they had buried Sasa already, he said no wonder the resurrection was so important to him. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think a reminder for us all, and especially at a conference like this, mm-hmm. um, what kind of optimism are you going to have? And there's only right. one that can't be crushed.
4: Yeah, and, and Sasa is really good on eschatology, Doctor of the Last Things. Bohr mentioned the sermons. Some of his richest sermons are sermons from the end of the church year in Advent, when we typically think of, of uh, the end of the creed, Christ returning in glory, just really powerful stuff. Because Zasa did recognize, finally, that the church lives not by optimism, but by hope. Not by optimism, but by hope. They're completely different. And um, one of the other essays, I'm going to allude to it a little, I think, tomorrow in my presentation, is Zassa's 1951 essay on Theologia Crucis, Theology of the Cross, which a later version of that is in the book that Bohr Mm -hmm. edited also. It's a great essay, one of the best things, short things I've read on Theology of the Cross. But Zassa works a Theology of the Cross from the perspective that God is doing a two-handed kind of work. Uh, His alien work and his proper work, and the alien work is putting to death. Uh, He doesn't simply renovate the old being, he puts him to death. God does, he crucifies him. And yet, out of that death, there's a resurrection. And Zasa sees this happening not only in the life of individual, but also in the lives of church bodies. And he, as a church historian, he does take bigger picture. You know, you can look at the, you know, the, the visible church today and have all kinds of misgivings and, and, and doubts. And Sasa was uh, certainly familiar with those and articulated them. But finally, the church lives because Jesus lives. Amen. And, 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 and that's the reason we never can give up on church because it belongs to the risen Lord. Amen. And we don't want to exclude ourselves from the forgiveness of sins that he alone gives and uh, calls us to receive together in church. And so Zasa is so helpful, I think, here. And, and uh, I'm going to try to mention a few of these other aspects, I think, in the presentation uh, tomorrow. But I uh, want to commend Zasa to you. Uh, not only to pastors, but also to lay people as, as one worthy of, of reading. So, thanks. It's good for
0: us to to see somebody go through all of those things, uh, like said, World War I, but then also in his, his job as a pastor and come out unscathed with his faith, and it's good for us to go, well, my life stinks, but at least I wasn't in World War I and kicked no. out of my country. <laughs> Maybe I could have a little bit more hope, right? Yeah.
4: Sasa always likes to use this image, and Matt Harrison picked it up in the title of the two volumes, The Lonely Way. And Sasa says, the Lutheran church has been condemned by the world to death. We live under the death sentence. where uh, For some, we are too free. Uh, for others, we are too rigid. And, and, and Sasa says, no matter... Uh, what disagreements the Reformed and the Anabaptists and the Roman Catholics had with each other, they were united in this one thought that the Lutheran way is not the way. And and so they were all condemning the Lutheran way. And so Zasa knew what it was also to be on the end of that kind of of critique. And yet that lonely way did not drive him into sectarianism. Not just, we're going to circle the wagons and, Fire on each other. And, and kind of fire on the enemy and, and protect ourselves. We have this treasure of the gospel which needs to be proclaimed to the world, and we're willing to talk about it with anybody, even though we might not come to the Lord's Supper together. And Zasa has some sterling essays on the practice of a, a church a, altar and pulpit fellowship. He, very solid essays there. But that doesn't mean that he's not going to be talking to people or engaging people in, in, in serious theological conversation.
1: Well, I, uh, I appreciate that, and I think we could go on for about four hours, but I'm also pretty sure we'd get in trouble if we did that. So we should probably start wrapping up, but I, I just want to say how thankful I am to John and to Broer for coming on. Uh, John is just amazing to to watch and see all the places he is in the world, uh, to bring that Lutheran message. I would list off all his books, but it would take too long. But, uh, a couple would be praying Luther's small catechism, handling the word of truth. Uh, Martin Luther, preacher of the cross, encourage you to check them out. It's just a way of, especially the catechisms, bringing them to life. And then, uh, Broar, I've had the privilege of knowing for quite a while now, and we've been able to work together on a number of projects and, uh, amazes me with his ability to translate any of you who have ever tried that, that's not very easy to do, I can barely put English into English um, <laughs> but uh, I would encourage you to check out his his translations and work with Sasa but also with Bo Geertz, um, if you see Broer around, stop him and ask him about Bo Geertz Swedish Bishop, just some phenomenal writings, uh, I'm going to give Broer the final word, any thoughts he has on Sasa you've got about 30 seconds and then someone up here has to say let the bird fly
3: can I just say let the bird fly? There you go <laughs> We're at 45
1: There so. we go, you did it, <laughs> thank you Thank you
0: Every evening when the sun goes down Give me my body. and I begin to I don't care what the people are thinking I'm
4: not drunk, I'm just to drinker I set them up another round I set them up another round I set them up
0: Another round One more round Won't get me down